This is the Self-Help Place podcast, the show that provides real self-help for everyone. Created and hosted by Dan Dyson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Self-Help Place podcast. If you are a returning listener, then welcome back. This is episode 22, and in today's episode, I'm going to be talking a bit about therapy, and more specifically, what's it actually like to go through therapy? You may be going through therapy yourself and just want to know another experience. You may have not done therapy or even know much about it and just curious to find out. Or you may be due to start it and you're just wondering or a bit worried about how it's all going to go. So today I'm going to share my own experience of therapy. I received eight months of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is CBT. And just to share that with you and just to share some of the things I learned and any surprises I encountered on the way and more specifically what the comparison to what I thought it was to what it actually was. Okay, so yeah, so as I, as I mentioned, I did have a course of CBT therapy. It was eight months and it was to treat OCD. And overall, I can say if, if you were to get anything out of this uh, episode, that in my opinion, therapy is completely worth it. You know, it might be a bit of a long time, like eight months, you might hear that and think that's a bit of a long time, but it was completely worth it and it reduced my symptoms so much to the point where it was actually, I was able to be, feel like my normal self as much as possible again. Um, so yeah, today I'm going to talk about any things I've learned through through the process, any surprises I came across and just general things that might help you in your journey or just help you understand therapy in more detail. So let's get started. So I live in the UK, and in the UK, the, the healthcare is, might be a little bit different to your healthcare. If anyone listening not from the UK, it's, it might be a little different to, to you. But uh, essentially here, if we notice we're having any kind of issues, we go see our GP or general practitioner, uh, who is a doctor we are like registered to near where we live. And then if you mention, like when I went and I mentioned I had problems with anxiety and I was struggling to just kind of get by... Um, he, what he did, the, the doctor, he gave me sort of an application slip, if you like, a referral form. And this was to a, a therapy centre, which was part of the National Health Service, the NHS, which is a free health service here in the UK, um, to start the process of looking into whether I actually had any kind of disorders or things like that. So I got like this two, three page questionnaire and it said things like rating one to 10, how do you feel on a daily basis? Are you able to like do basic tasks? Can you, you know, because it, it goes from anything from the most basic to the most extreme and extreme, I mean, can you dress yourself? Can you actually look after yourself? Can you leave your house? Things like that. Now, I remember at the time it was quite bad. Uh, very, very luckily, it wasn't to the, to the point where I, you know, I, I could do the very basics, you know, I could still wash and clean and put clothes on etc like of course there are some forms of OCD which is um, more to do with germs and things like that and it can have a severe effect on that thankfully at the time that wasn't one of the triggers for me um, so that was okay but it was in general quite bad in my just 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 general self-esteem self-worthiness and just general feelings of well, I don't think I felt okay for a very, very long time. So so I filled out this form, 1 to 10, rate rate how you feel, etc. And the point of that was that later on, if you do receive tweet, uh, treatment even, they get you to fill out that questionnaire again and they see how your answers change and that's how you kind of prog like progress. I mean, the point of the questionnaire in the first place was a referral form. It was to see how bad it was and 
from there it was they were going to assess you based on that but they actually do come back to that form so I filled that in and I, I sent it to the relevant place and uh, by post and then I seem to remember getting a letter back saying okay we have an appointment for you um, with our therapists and, and, and resident psychologist at this location so I was like okay so I went over there and they did this little assessment where they asked me questions. Um, I think I sat down with a clinical psychologist and therapist, and they were asking me questions about how I was living, what was what was the problem, what life was like. So I just answered exactly how I was feeling and things I've thought. And it was it was nice actually. It was a nice it was an open environment, and I think I was lucky enough to get people that were feel that were you know they allowed you to be open about these things. And it's it was hard. Um, coming out with things I'd been thinking and things I'd been feeling because I don't know I guess I always felt like I had to keep them in you know and I'm sure anyone listening to this who has experience of that you know how difficult that is and then all of a sudden you go from just kind of keeping it to yourself to trying to put on a brave face to suddenly being able to tell everything I mean it's quite relieving but it's quite strange to do at first you know because again it may just be me but I kind of had this image of I tried to just get on with get on with it basically that was the phrase I always heard growing up just just grit your teeth and get on with it but I will come to learn that that was the worst way of doing things so they um so I waited there and they did an assessment and I came back in and the resident psychologist just sat me down and says yeah I'm afraid you have uh, OCD by the looks of things obsessive compulsive disorder now I actually looked up the symptoms of OCD before I actually came to this center and I did seem to match quite a few symptoms of it but the problem was I still ruled OCD out as a possibility and that was because I had the same understanding of OCD as everybody else you know the general public you know OCD it's more of a personality quirk it's oh I like to make th sure things are straight on my desk or I like to make sure my home's clean all the time and I've discussed this in previous podcast ep pod eh, podcast episodes even where it's the understanding of the symptoms that was just wasn't correct and it, it became this kind of uh, viral thing OCD oh I'm a bit OCD about this and a bit OCD about that so I didn't really put myself in that category of of person if you like and that's without any disrespect it's just that's how I saw it I wasn't one of those people who was obsessed with making sure my room was tidy you know I was in my early 20s I didn't really pick pick up after myself most of the time um, so I just didn't see it and then sitting, being sat down and being told you have OCD, it was still a bit of a shock, despite the fact that I did recognise the symptoms. It was a bit of a shock at first. So I was like, okay. Um, and they said, well, the recommended course of treatment is this cognitive behavioural therapy, or CBT. So just to explain what CBT, or cognitive behavioural therapy, is, it's a talking therapy. And what it does, it helps manage problems by changing the way you think and behave. Because the idea is that all your actions, your speech and thoughts are all interconnected. And by changing the habits of the way you think and speak and, and act, you can, over time change your behavior and because because the idea is you get caught in these negative cycles and I, I tell you something anyone experiencing anxiety out there you know it's a cycle you you worry about something you find anything to worry more about it and then also you you can worry that you worry that you worry and all that so it can get in these cycles and what the therapy does is that it cha it, it forces you to challenge those views and actions and things like that and 
the the result is that you you stop them you overwrite them with other better habits now that was my understanding of cbt i also have a link in the description of this podcast uh, if you're listening on spotify uh, you can also find it on the facebook page the self-help place facebook page and also on podbean as well there'll be a link to that uh email subscribers you can also find it in the email itself it's the nhs uh overview of cognitive behavioral therapy to help you understand it a little bit more and cbt is used to treat a range of mental illness including anxiety including things like depression even as far as uh bipolar disorder borderline personality disorder um, phobias even, schizophrenia, sleep problems, it, it, it go, the list goes on. It's a very, very effective treatment um, that's been used. So anyway, so there I was in that office being, being told that CBT therapy was the way forward. Now, I was a bit nervous about this because I didn't actually know a lot about therapy at all. Like I didn't even think about that kind of thing. So I, I guess as what I consider to, like what I consider to be a normal person, back then at least, um, was that I, I didn't really associate any part of my life with mental health. You know, I just sort of got on with things and hoped for the best. And yeah, I was a bit of a a worrier sometimes, like not warrior as in fighter, but worrier as in worry, anxiety, um, obviously. Just thought I'd point that out. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, uh, I, I didn't think of it as anything serious, you know. I noticed it in school a lot. I had a lot of strange behaviours which were not normal like like sometimes for school I just pack every single book in my bag before going to school and it was it was weird because I was like well I I know I only need to pack the books from today but I was so worried about forgetting something and it wasn't even because of any reactions I'd get or being in trouble or anything like that I was just it was just there was just some there was nothing there it was like I'd just be anxious if I didn't do it so I thought okay that's weird but I just I just thought it was me you know, so to be told that you're in this position and need therapy, it's like, oh, 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 wow, okay. Uh, let me take a step back. Let me take a step back, even. So what they did, they referred me further on to a treatment center, which was local in my area. So I thought, oh, okay, and and they 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 originally set me up. I think I think it was. I can't remember exactly how long they set me up for, but I knew it was going to be a period of time, months, uh, where I'd, I'd attend a weekly session at this particular therapy center where I'd go in for an hour or two at a time and then we would just work on these habits. I was curious to get started despite being nervous because I was like, okay, I wonder how much this can change. I already had kind of knowledge of things like meditation and Buddhist teachings and things like that, which are all very practical and based on your mind. So I was interested to see how that compared actually. So I started attending and my therapist was a really nice lady. She was, uh, you know, she was local in the area as expected. And she was just, uh, she introduced it. And I guess how I thought therapy was going to go was that, okay, let's talk about your past. You know how you see on like movies and TV, you see like the person laying down on the couch and the psychiatrist or psychologist kind of um, one leg over the other in a sitting position with a clipboard, like t- like telling you to, asking you to describe your past and your relationship with your family and father and mother and things like that. It was the first surprise, I think, was that it wasn't like that at all. It was literally just two chairs and a table. I sat in one, she sat in the other, like any kind of interview almost. And you had like tissues and a piece of paper and a pen for writing things down and just getting an idea. So the first few sessions, she kind of took me through what we'd be doing. So 
she mentioned, uh, I seem to remember this, how she'd be like, this is going to be so hard for you. This is going to be really hard. And I thought, oh man, I've just signed up for this eight month thing that's going to be hard. But she was saying it's hard, but it's because you're going to be challenging behaviours that have been so ingrained or have been allowed to develop for so long that tackling them is going to be hard. And I guess it's the same with, I mean, I don't know much about things like addiction and drugs, but uh, I can imagine it's the same kind of thing. You know, people go cold turkey or withdrawal symptoms and things like that. I don't know, I guess in my head I kind of saw it the same way, I was kind of coming out of an addiction, and it turns out actually that anxiety turned out to be more of an addiction to the feeling of relief and that everything was certain and fine, so that's an interesting point. So the first week went well, and honestly we didn't talk about my past much at all, like I thought they were going to talk about Okay, so what? Let's let's look into the root of the problem. She actually told me the therapist within the first month. She was like, "Well, actually, the point of CBT or therapy is to not find the root because the root doesn't do anything." And I was surprised to hear that actually, because I thought, "Well, surely you want to find the root so you can like uproot it." I guess you know you can if you can find out the root of all the problems, then you can uproot that and everything will be fine. But she said that doesn't matter because. What we're treating is the symptoms, you know, that the problem is right now. It, it's it's what, what's in you. And I, I, I like to compare that to the analogy of uh, a very famous Buddhist story of the man who's got shot by a poisoned arrow. So if you imagine this, imagine you get shot by a poisoned arrow, not a great thing to imagine, I admit, but, and you're on the, and you're there on your floor and, um, you know, what's what's the first thing you're going to do? You want it to be taken out, don't you? You wouldn't go, right, I'm not, don't take this out. I don't want this taken out until I know the name of the guy who shot the arrow, what his occupation is, how old he is, whether he's tall or short, what clothes he's wearing, how long he's been around the area, how hard are they trained. It's pointless to know that, isn't it? All you want is that arrow to be taken out. Now, as ridiculous as that sounds, that's actually what we do when it comes to our mental health. You know, we, when we have a problem or we have you know, a negative feeling. When we think about getting better, we naturally want to know everything about how it started. And it's a natural curiosity. It's something that I experienced. But what she was saying was, it's the symptoms we've got to sort out. You know, by all means, the root can be found if you want it to in a later time. But in this therapy, we're going to concentrate on changing your behaviours, changing right now. And I was quite impressed by that because it was it was just practical. I just knew what I needed to do. I didn't have to explore anything any memories or anything it was just okay this is what you're doing these are your behaviors that you are not happy with and is affecting your life let's change these around so over the weeks and months that followed this is how therapy generally worked what you did was break down your thoughts feelings and attitudes and behaviors you break them down and you look at them without any kind of judgment so just to give you an example so my uh, main symptom of OCD was checking behaviours, checking the front door was locked, checking that paperwork had been sent out correctly, checking that any confidential information for my work hadn't been dropped anywhere by me. It was basically the idea that the slightest, tiniest thing that I did wrong had some kind of serious, disastrous con consequence where something terrible was going to happen. So I almost overdid it with making sure everything was fine before I left. And weirdly, at work, it got worse. Worst, when I knew I was going to go on like a holiday or vacation or something, it got worse on that last day because it was almost like I was afraid of being afraid or being hit with this OCD when I get like on a plane somewhere or I drive somewhere thinking, oh, I didn't check that. Oh, what's good? And then 
And then what would happen is that anxiety would flood over me and just ruin the entire time. So I kind of created a cycle within a cycle of worry and it was it was terrible really. So what happens is I expected them to go, okay, let's look at this behavior. This behavior is bad. Like, no, 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 as in like a dog school kind of thing. Like sit, don't do this. Like slap on the wrist if you do this. It wasn't like that at all. What they actually did was they they took a behavior or took a thought. So I thought, okay, if I do the slightest thing wrong, something terrible is going to happen. What she did next with all of those was... I was surprised that she could do that because I because she what she made me do was experiment with them. So instead of going no, that's a bad thought, you know, bad boy almost. Uh, it, she just went okay. Well, that's a thought. Let's actually test if that's true. Because and what she was trying to teach me is that you know I was so convinced through my own head and things that had happened that if I did the slightest mistake, something awful would actually happen. So the first thing she did was on a few exercises was, okay, let's let's look at this anxiety then. I want you for the remainder of the week, so until the next session, every time you have that thought, I want you to resist doing anything and see if that bad thing actually happens. Now, that was a terrifying thought. I mean, the idea of letting that go and letting horrible things happen, because anyone who doesn't anyone who listening to this who doesn't experience anxiety and depression and things like that th- these conditions can absolutely convince you beyond any kind of doubt that these terrible things will happen or you or you are a certain way or you are worthless or you are rubbish or stupid or or the list goes on but it's so convincing and then when when someone's saying right the exercise is when you feel that don't do anything about it let those things happen and that's why it's so hard because you have to face it head on and it's what what she was telling me is that this is going to build a for anxiety it's going to be building a tolerance to anxiety over time i'd been i guess i'd been she didn't use these words but my understanding was i got so addic- addicted to the feelings of certainty that i just couldn't cope with any kind of uncertainty anymore like i just lost all tolerance for bad things happening i almost wanted to control control over everything that was going to happen and the slightest thing I didn't have control over or if I wasn't paying attention 100% of the time that little thing would slip between my fingers and then cause all sorts of ruckus but I mean obviously now being through the treatment I realized how ridiculous it was to think that way but at the mo you know in that moment I didn't I didn't feel that way and over time I found that nothing happened and what that did is that you know, there was, there's almost like, it's almost like you have two minds up in your head. Like you've got your brain that you use every day and thinks things and believes certain ways, but then you've kind of got an inner brain that just like forms beliefs based on what happens. So have you ever noticed, like sometimes you're trying to sleep, but you're worrying, you're like, right, don't worry. There's no point to it. I'm just going to lose sleep, get to sleep. You notice how that doesn't work. It makes perfect sense. And it makes perfect sense in your head as well. But it doesn't work. You still worry. There's that little inner brain. I mean, this is, don't take this for gospel. This is like the worst scientific explanation for anything. It's not even scientific. But um, I think if you really look at like experience of your worries, that's what happens is there's something inside you that doesn't quite believe it. So what, in my eyes, what therapy did was that it taught my inner brain that actually you know, instead of just saying, no, 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 like reasoning with my brain, it showed my brain why it was pointless to feel that way. Because I always give the analogy of the pizza, you know, you, 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 and I'll explain it again. Um, 
imagine you you are wake up in the morning, you're hungry, you go downstairs and eat some left, and you see some leftovers in the fridge of leftover pizza, and it looks amazing. And you take it out, and it looks great. But then when you look closely, there's maggots and all stuff all over, and it's rotten. You throw it away straight away, right? Because you know nothing good comes of eating that. Now, our minds don't always know that there's no good in eating the rotten things that come in our heads, like the anxieties and the angers and the hates and things like that. But we, So we clang on to them because we think it does us some good for some reason and it can be so subtle. But then when you actually show your brain that actually there is no good at all to come out of X, Y and Z, what happens is within an instant almost, you just kind of let go of it. You just, you just, it takes a while to get there you have to really convince yourself and it becomes that moment and it's, it's sometimes you don't even you're not even aware of it before you know it all of a sudden you don't worry about it anymore they're just and you've done that many times in your life and you've not even realized it you know when it comes to maybe it's even packing for a holiday you've naturally realized that you don't need that much stuff or you you don't need to do that you know it's for people who go on holiday for the first time if they'd never left the country, they pack absolutely everything. When I first went backpacking on my own, I took everything. I took the military-grade DEET spray for mosquitoes. I took all sorts of long, different, like, high-tech clothing and things like that. Didn't need any of that. So the next time I went traveling on my own, I didn't take half as much. And that was a natural process of letting go. You see that you don't physically need to carry that baggage quote-unquote around so you let it go and it's the same with anxiety and that's what I was learning over time and that's what the therapy was actually doing you know it was it was not saying no this is bad you need to do this it was saying okay we'll test that theory then and if it works then great then there's a reason because if you think about it what is anxiety for you know what is the point why do our brains do this it's a it's a defensive mechanism, right? It's a protection. We always try to we like to protect ourselves. And those who are particularly sensitive to anxiety are the ones who are more aware of things in their own heads or around them. And you know, they they can they can see or be more aware of potential dangers. But that's the key word there, potential. Not actual dangers, potential. And then over time, if that's allowed to grow, it becomes into worrying about things that really do not exist, which actually, in my opinion, is about ninety nine percent of all worries things that will never happen but we worry about them because our mind likes to go okay well let's let's just worry about it so i can guard guard my you know guard you just in case but then you also discover and this is something else you discover in therapy that even if the worst does happen your therapy your, your sorry your therapy your anxiety has done nothing to prevent that happening or it's done and and it's done nothing to to like help the shock of it because I used to think that oh the worry of a situation happening would soften the blow of it actually happening if anything it makes it worse and you imagine it being feeling better you know if you worry about something it actually happening you think it's it would be better in your head but actually in reality it hits you worse because you've already got that uh, that feeling inside you and it just adds on top of it I think it was some kind of Harry Potter quote or um one of J.K. Rowling's books that worrying only ensures you suffer twice. And that is absolutely true. You just suffer double. So it over, and, and this is hard stuff because, you know, you see a lot of these self-help quotes. Well, <laughs> ironically, as that sounds with the self-help place, but the whole point of this is to break that taboo and that cringe of self-help and realize it's an actual thing that you need to do if, you know, you are in any kind of crisis. But anyway, you see these quotes and it looks so easy. You you understand what it's saying. 
but why doesn't your behavior change? I used to ask this to myself. Why? I, kn- I knew before I did any, any therapy of any kind, I knew that I didn't need to worry. I knew it was harmful. And even I saw that quote of the worrying only ensures you suffer twice. It made me think a certain way and change my perspective. But really, the habits just took over because the habits that you've built are so strong, especially if you have an anxiety disorder or anything like that, that they just overwrite anything. So this is why it takes time. You need to challenge all the time. Challenge your mind, challenge what, and, it, and it's tiring, it's hard, it's really exhausting to do. But I will tell you now, there is nothing more worth it because that eight months of stress and struggle and like really, it was really scary because you were facing fears. It was like, if you're afraid of spiders, it was like therapy teaching, teaching you in order to be done, you need to grab that spider in your own hands. Terrifying. But once you do it, you feel the fe- fear, eh, you feel the effect, sorry, for so long. I mean, it's been, what, five years now, I think, since I left therapy? And then, you know, I, I'll i come on to this later on, but I didn't, didn't do the self-help, so sadly I did relapse. But I never went to... I don't think... I mean, they my OCD came back in different ways, but it never went back to the point where it was originally. And I think it was... Although my OCD kind of came back worse a little later on because I just fell back into old habits, it was never quite like the first time. So w- once you've done therapy, it's it's it kind of changes your perspective on a lot of things and it forces you to change those habits. So that's exactly what we were doing and that's exactly why it takes time. You know, your, your habits and... Habits are everything from mental loops to your actual behavior, especially with OCD. Uh, this what's because OCD stands for obsessive compulsive disorder, and the compulsions. So it starts with obsessions. You you become really worried about something to the point it becomes obsessive, and then because the anxiety is so high, it leads you to do compulsive behaviors. So, for example, if you are terrified, the doors not locked and then you know you and what you do you imagine you become obsessed and you imagine like someone stealing everything from your house that you worked so hard for so then the anxiety of that the way to end that is to or at least in an OCD mind is to perform a compulsion and a compulsion isn't just checking the door once and leaving that's not what OCD is OCD is when you cannot break that cycle of anxiety and you just keep checking I would check a door so many times I think back to it now and I just think wow like if I could just go back in time and watch myself do that I almost cringe to think of it and it's not being ashamed of myself in any way it's I suffered that much like I I couldn't let go of the door I I had to keep checking because I had no feeling of relief and those are strong habits and they're, they're hard habits to break and so and and that's that's basically what I learned to do but I think the breaking point came and everyone kind of has a breaking point where they just climb over that wall. You know, you're trying to hit this anxiety. Sometimes it gets too much. They ask you to rate your anxiety during an activity. They go, okay, how high is your anxiety? And sometimes it'd be full nine or 10. It's out of 10. Um, and it would just be really, really hard to deal with. But then comes that moment where you do one of the exercises and all of a sudden, you just feel a weight off your shoulders. Something has changed in your brain. And I will tell you what the moment was for me. So I used to work in finance. And more specifically, I used to work with personal details of clients. Because of course, if you work in finance and things like debt, you will have personal details from clients on file, of course, on your computer. So of course, as part of anything, there is a data protection policy, which is where, and for obvious reasons, really, you don't want to be 
you know, uh, careless with the information. You don't want to be doing anything way more sinister or like selling the details off to anybody or things like that. So they have to have those policies in place. Sadly, though, my OCD completely targeted that data protection. So I thought, and it, and that was what I mentioned earlier of the slightest mistake I do having disastrous consequences. The worry that I would leave the office and accidentally have like even something like a sticky note on me that would have like a client's address or like a, a an account number or something and that would like fall off in the middle of the street and then someone would find it and then someone would report it or they would steal their details. Now, some of you may listen to that scenario just then and think, the likelihood of that happening is nothing. And even then it was a mistake. But that's not what an OCD mind thinks. An OCD mind has an exaggerated feeling of responsibility. Every In an OCD's mind, every single action you take is your responsibility. And if you don't pay attention 100% of the time, something bad's going to happen. So you can sort of understand how stressful that must be to constantly be on it all the time. And it gets worse. The more you indulge in it, the worse it gets. And that's why they call anxiety self-sustaining. Because if you teach your brain that the anxiety was correct by performing the compulsion that does it, so for example... Um, I would be obsessed with, oh, make sure no sticky notes are on me. So uh, I would just check my body in briefcase or backpack or whatever I had on me. And then I'd be like, okay, there's nothing in there. That teaches my brain that feeling that anxiety was correct. So what it does, it reinforces the anxiety and makes it worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And that's exactly how you get trapped in that cycle. So let's get on with the breaking point. So the moment, so as part of my job, I had to sometimes go and meet clients face to face. So I'd go to like an off-site location and I would bring and I, I'd, I'd meet the clients there. So I do a whole day of meetings and I would bring with me a briefcase and each and inside that briefcase was a was a, a stack of paper, like a, a, a stuck together paper of a client's file. And I'm talking their their account details I'm talking names things like that because of course that is how you do it like and and this happens every day you know you have and it's fine there's no there's nothing bad about that that is just how you do it and you just have to keep that secure because when you go to these meetings you need to have that information to get to hand so I would take that briefcase over to these locations now it was the briefcase and the papers that led me to huge anxieties because you know, if I was in a rush and I was trying to pack my suitcase, a uh, briefcase even, and leave with it, uh, and then I left a piece of paper on the table and someone found it, it starts all over again with someone could take that and that's a data breach and all this kind of thing. So, and you might be listening, think, thinking this, like, that's a stressful job, but it shouldn't be as stressful to what it got to. You just have to be careful. But to me, it was everything. Like, I I was obsessed with being careful. I was obsessed with, like, checking it 30 million times before I went. So anytime work asked me to go on one of these trips, oh, it was terrifying. I just thought, oh, here we go again. I'm going to be stressed out. So here was the breakthrough in therapy. So what she did was, I, I told her about this. And she said, right, when are you due to go on your next trip? So I said, well, Thursday night, I bring my briefcase home. And then Friday, I get in the car and go straight to that place. And she said, right, well, Thursday night, we have another session. Thursday night, bring your briefcase to the therapy center and we'll try something. This was terrifying to hear. I thought, oh, no, she's going to make me do all sorts of things. So anyway, so come Thursday night, I pack the briefcase with all the sensitive information. I go to the therapy center. 
She then takes me out to a nearby field and she says, right, I want you to open this, the briefcase and I want you to throw the papers everywhere. I couldn't believe what I just heard. Are you kidding? Throw the papers everywhere? I mean, it wasn't a windy day or anything. They weren't going to blow too far. That was going to happen. It was a nice dry day. They were just going to go on the grass, like worst case scenario. You know, there's no, nothing bad to come out of that. But she said, no, seriously, throw everything out. So I did. I opened the briefcase and I threw my papers out everywhere. And um, oh, it, was, it was horrible to see because, again, I was so obsessed with making sure that paper were, those papers were safe and checked that they were secure. The idea of that being everywhere was terrifying. And she, has, she said, right, here's what I want you to do. This is the end of the session. I want you to quickly put, put all the papers back in the briefcase, fasten the briefcase up and leave. And I do not want you to check it once until you get to the offsite location where you meet your clients and you sit down and ready to start everything. And this was just terrifying. I mean, she asked me what my anxiety was on the scale. I said it was a 10, like no question about it. I thought, and I even questioned whether she could do that. I was like, well, surely you'll get in trouble if this happens, you know? And I, I at the time, I just didn't see how this was plausible. But anyway, I did it. You know, I, I wanted to get rid of this stupid thing. So threw the papers out, pick everything, picked everything up, put it in my briefcase. I didn't even look at it. I just put it in the back seat of my car, went home, and then carried on with the rest of my evening and went to sleep. Now, I cannot tell you how stressful it was to see that briefcase sitting there and that temptation to check everything was there and everything was fine and everything was certain and nice and rosy. And as as disrespectful as I might sound to myself, that's how I actually felt in my mind. I wanted everything to be okay. And I was addicted to that feeling of everything being okay. And a bit of a sleep it was a bit of a sleepless nice night even and just the idea of things not being there and what happens with anxiety is you start to make up stories in your head because it's almost like your mind likes to worry it entertains it like it starts to go oh what if i what if i in the corner of my eye what if i saw a paper that wasn't packed and i knew it then i must check and anything it was like a rabid animal desperate to leave its cage it was trying to get me to do this thing and again, I started making up stories in my head. It's what I like to call the McGee effect. Anyone who watches the TV show NCIS, there's an episode where it's about like Navy cops. And it sounds like a tangent, but stay with me. Um, this is actually very important for anyone who suffers anxiety. This is a big symptom. Um, there's an episode about it, it, the series is about Navy cops. And there's a there's a episode where one of the agents, McGee, um, he has one of the fast-paced situations where he has to make a decision whether to shoot someone. There's like a corrupt cop that has his arms in a car and this McGee can't quite work out if he's got a weapon or not. So anyway, so the the corrupt cop pulls his arm from the car and McGee shoots him straight away to, in self-defense because he thinks he, he, he sees a gun, but he thinks he sees a gun. So what happens is the, the department where this ex-cop is, like the other cops trying to protect him this McGee's in interrogation and they're trying to make him confess that he didn't have this corrupt cop didn't have a gun in his hand he was like no 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 you're just making it up you didn't see you just wanted him dead didn't you you just you just or like you're you're a rookie agent you you didn't see what was going on you made a mistake you panicked it happens things like that they were trying so hard to convince him to save this corrupt cop from being you know from being who he was pointing a gun on an actual law enforcement officer you know so what happened is, and, and the episode takes place over a week where 
this McGee, he constantly reviews what happens. Now, in the first parts of the episode, he reviews what happens, and you see this this corrupt cop pulling a gun out. You see, you see this this gun even in the dark, and he made the right decision. But over the week, the more the other officers interrogate him on it, the more the flashbacks start the story of the flashbacks start to change a bit. So it started from a corrupt gun, a corrupt officer even, pulls the gun out of a car and aims it at McGee. He shoots. Then it changes to the corrupt cop just pulls his arm out of the car, but he's still looking sinister. And then finally, when he's at his wit's end, there's a final flashback of McGee, McGee seeing this officer raise his hands in the air saying, don't shoot, and he shoots him anyway. So at this point, you, you're thinking, oh, you know, McGee really is, really did shoot an innocent guy. So the next thing you know, this McGee is like confessing. He says, yeah, I did it. I shoot him. He didn't even have a gun. I, I, I did it, you know. And it turns out that they found security footage and the corrupt cop did have a gun and he was pulling it out. And it turns out this McGee was right the whole time. But the reason I call so yeah, the reason why I call this the McGee effect is when your mind starts to change the story when you start doubting yourself and panicking. And this is exactly what was happening with the briefcase. I started doing a McGee syndrome. I started saying, wait, wait, maybe I saw a piece of paper like flying about. And I started to I was desperate to construct something to give me any excuse to check this briefcase. So anyway, I resisted. I resisted like nothing I've ever resisted before. It came morning, I still didn't check, I had breakfast, I got in the car, that whole car journey, it was about an hour and a half to this 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 meeting centre. The whole journey, I didn't check it, I was obsessed with checking it, I just didn't do it, I did exactly what they say, because I was determined to get rid of this thing. Got to the meeting place, finally, get to open the briefcase, open the briefcase, everything was there. And at that moment, I'll never forget it, that moment a weight just came off my shoulders. My inner brain had finally been convinced that what I was worrying about just didn't exist. And it finally proved to myself that this anxiety was a thing that was based on just obsessions and compulsions. I suddenly stopped taking them so seriously. And that day was a breeze. Didn't check anything. I just put things back in my briefcase, carried on. And that was the moment, that was the, the hump of the hill, so to speak. You know, when you're going up that hump, it is hard at first to challenge these behaviours. That was the moment things started to go downhill and nice and, and easy. Of course, the work wasn't over, but that was the moment. And you may yourself, anyone listening to this in therapy at the minute, you might have a moment like that. Uh, but that was a moment for me. That was a breakthrough moment. And from there, it, I became so determined to tackle the rest of it. So I did as much as I can. Of course, eight months, actually, in actuality, eight months isn't a massive period of time when it comes to changing habits. You know, it takes a, it takes a long time and you have to really work at it. So after eight months, I was discharged because I was well enough to carry on. You know, I, I, I'd made significant improvement. They made me do that questionnaire again. I mentioned at the start of this episode that we did a questionnaire uh, about one to ten how do you feel about this and can you look after yourself and the results were so much better and I was so proud that I did this like on my own and, and the therapist was like well actually you did this on your own all we do is point you to the direction that you change it so that's another thing while while we're talking that's another thing that I want to uh, explain to people I know a lot of people who are unsure about therapy but and like people telling people what to do. Therapy is more about helping you, pointing you in the right direction for you to solve it really yourself. It still takes effort from you and the people who don't succeed in therapy or one of the types, of course, sometimes there are certain therapies don't work for people, but there is a type 
a person that goes to a therapy who just doesn't do any of the exercises or anything like that. And sadly, they're only harming themselves because that just leads to them be suffering for longer. And it, it's a shame to see. So if, if you are one of those people, just just make the effort because the, it's so worth it. And you and I'm living I'm a, I'm a living example of of therapy working it really really helped and it's not something that defines you or anything like that you sometimes just need a bit of help with everything you know if you're building something for the first time sometimes you need to look online on youtube that's help that is help sometimes you want to learn how to play a musical instrument you get a tutor to help you that's help therapy is the same thing for your mind if you if you have this problem you can't quite get past and it's starting to affect your life therapy is an option to help you and it's a very good one actually and it's tried and tested over a long time and it's something that i highly recommend so anyway so i was discharged all happy with that however and this again it was is the whole point of this podcast the only reason that i decided to start this podcast is that at the end of the treatment they gave me a self-help pack so and again I was like a lot of other people with self-help self-help I've done the work you know I've I'd spent eight months spent eight months in therapy I was proud of myself I just wanted to kick back and carry on with my life because and I couldn't blame myself I just wanted to carry on I just wanted to get on with my life I didn't want this stupid anxiety like deflating me anymore I just wanted to forget about it but that was the worst thing to do so I I got the self-help sheets and I literally just stuck them in the drawer somewhere didn't even touch them so lo and behold it seemed okay for a while but naturally the anxieties came back and I stopped working on them so I almost allowed them to continue and rise up again it was never as bad as it was the the first time but then came a moment a couple of years later where I was put in a situation where I had a whole new set of OCD triggers and because I'd almost forgotten and not built this kind of system of dealing how you know these tools that I built in therapy they were they were reduced to almost dust because I hadn't used them for so long I put myself in a more comfortable position and which is which is fine obviously but I forgot to like really make make an effort into self-help I relapsed and I relapsed twice I think and the moment I the moment I came out of that was I I tried all sorts of so I I I remember seeing my self-help leaflets after I relapsed again I thought that's the problem so what I did, I just, again, went back into my own therapy mode. I mean, at this point, I could have gone back to therapy. I just wanted to try this myself. Not recommended if you are really struggling. I, I was I was never, I, I wasn't as bad as I was, but some of the OCD obsessions came back worse. There was one where I was actually waking up at five every morning puking because the anxiety was so strong. And that anxiety was horrible, but I still was able to deal with it from that therapy, but still I was in this position of not in a good place. So I tried all the self-help techniques. I I, I did, you know, all sorts of things, affirmations, um, and even, and I mentioned this in a, there's a previous episode about this, about my stay in a Buddhist monastery. Go and have a listen to that because that it's quite, it will be quite insightful for you, hopefully. I, um, I came to my own solution and I, I, with the self-help pack that I use from therapy, I, I restarted the knowledge in the sessions we did and I re-challenged everything. I challenged all my thoughts and behaviours and I officially kind of got out of that rut by realising that it's a lifelong process and it doesn't have to be... A gr- it sounds grim when you think, oh, it's going to be lifelong work, but there comes a point where you feel way better than you ever did before. You just have to keep up that bit of work. So every time you notice your mind trying to be obsessed with something, you go, ah, I see that. 
I'm not going to fall for it. And it gets easier. The more, the more you strengthen that muscle, the easier it gets. So there we have it. That was my experience of therapy and, you know, the, the mistake I made after uh, and what I, what I did for that. Now, I highly recommend CBT therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. If you feel like you have these patterns of thoughts and speech and behaviors, and it doesn't have to be anxiety, it can be depression, like lack of self-worth, things like that. CBT, if you can receive it where you are, uh, it just guides you to a, a better place and it guides you to really explore that. And the key is you have to challenge your mind. Your mind's like a little five-year-old running around in there. You know, it's, it's misbehaving. It's not going to bed on time. It's not doing what it's told. You have to discipline it. You have to challenge it. You have to say, and you, and it, you don't have to, and this is the thing, you don't smack it around. You don't force it to do anything because that makes you worse. That just creates all sorts of other problems you have to gently guide yourself and you you have to be firm you go oh, well just like a child i say I, I guess you have to be gentle but firm you know you have to have boundaries and you have to have self boundaries and i think that is the key thing they talk about boundaries with people a lot but self boundaries you know and it's the same with anything it's the same with eating unhealthy eating you've got to have those boundaries in place and and that comes from a, a sense of self-worth self-respect which believe me you know i didn't have a lot of that originally but it's something again you build over time so i think my final message from today is if you are if you are especially if you are sat there and you are facing some negative patterns and you really want to get out of them but you don't know how you feel too ashamed go and get some help. It really isn't as bad as you think it is. And, you know, no one's going to judge you for that at all. Anyone who does, you need to think twice about that relationship, you know. Um, so get the help you need. And it was worth it for me. So I can say your journey will be totally different. But as soon as you get into the, the, the mind frame to challenge that, and it, sometimes it comes from just having enough. You're just done with it. You, you're done with these behaviors you're done with your lack of self-worth you're done with this these feelings i say and even you don't have to be at rock bottom to get therapy that's an important thing i wish i'd have gotten it sooner as soon as i had the slightest inkling of oh that's very strange and you do have those moments i would have if i'd have gone and got help then i could have probably curbed this before it even started and they even say even if you are well quote-unquote fine if you feel you don't need any help sometimes people get that anyway because it just gives someone I mean like they say counselors for example are professional listeners they help you just they're trained to listen to what you have to say to really take that third party perspective and go okay well this that and the other and they suggest things and help with that and sometimes people just need a weekly offload so they're not bringing their problems home there's nothing wrong with that you know i think it's a very very useful thing so just remember whatever position you're in whether you are whether you're just listening to this and you you're not even consider therapy you don't say you need it whether you are you do feel you're in real need of it uh, or if you're going through it at the moment just Again, explore the option of therapy, and if you're already in it, stick at it. And there's going to be times where you feel like crap or it's not working or things like that. Stick with it anyway, because, I mean, the idea is if you're feeling crap because you're challenging yourself, you're on the right path. It's horrible. It's hard. But if it was if it were easy, you know, everybody would be, would be fine, I guess. <laughs> um, and it's not. When you feel into negative patterns, like, give yourself a bit of credit. This is hard to do. And it's, it's hard to experience any kind of mental illness or any kind of negativity or anxiety or depression. It's very difficult to deal with. It's difficult to challenge and get rid of. But I will tell you now, if you make the effort 
to overwrite those patterns, you will be set. And it will be the most worthwhile thing you've ever done. That eight months was the most worthwhile thing I've ever done. And even more so the self-help. And that's exactly why I do this podcast to inspire people to go get themselves sorted, to go get help. And I'm not going to be here printing out quotes saying it's going to be easy and it's going to be fine. You have to get up off your seat and you've got to go and do it. And it's not an easy subject to talk about. It's not an easy subject to even think about. But sometimes you do have to have that self-honesty to just pick yourself up and do it. You're worth it, and you owe it to yourself to be in the best health you can be. All right, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Um, Again, these podcasts are released every, well, they come out every Saturday, so uh, have a listen. If you haven't subscribed already, go to theselfhelpplace.com and subscribe there. I do have a couple of guests coming on the show in over the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned for that. Um, we're going to get some other experiences and things like that to give you some more insights. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening again, and bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. Please visit the website, theselfhelpplace.com, for more information.